the first issue was the biggest risk, obviously, because we didn't have any advertising to put in it because you can't sell advertising for a publication that doesn't exist. We had no contacts, no industry contacts. We had no, we had visions that it wanted to, we wanted it to be beautiful, high caliber art, fine art, fashion, luxury fashion brands. But none of that was obviously in the first issue. So we still produced it and we got a loan to pay for the printing and the distribution and did a launch event, which in hindsight was maybe jumping the gun a little bit. But it got out and we I remember sitting in our office together and we were like, we need to get this to the brands and to the houses that we want to be in the magazine. And we were trawling the internet to find the correct email addresses and the correct contacts for luxury fashion houses. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it's turned into a bit of a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are, our true self, and how to live, create, and succeed from that place. If you need help making contact with your unique purpose, or maybe you're ready for a conscious career change and need some advice, I encourage you to explore my online learning opportunities at getoffline.co forward slash study. You can also follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me, I'm Alison Larson Rice. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. I think what I adore most about my next guest is how unexpected her spirit is. Annika Hine is the creative director and co-founder of Jane Magazine, a biannual fashion and fine art publication shot on film and printed on paper. Given the shininess of that, I guess I'm ashamed to say I had some preconceived ideas about how she'd be. My experience of the fashion industry, especially at the higher end, is that it can be quite elitist and almost refined to a point where no one really says anything. Not Annika. I quickly realised I was talking to a funny, down-to-earth, thoughtful and generous woman who isn't scared to say what she really thinks. We cover some incredible ground in this honest conversation and truthfully, we could have spoken for hours longer. Annika opens up about her pregnancy, her 36-hour home birth that ended with an emergency transfer to hospital, what she and her partner Odin learned after living in country Victoria for two years, navigating perfectionism, and a sometimes brutal examination of self, how she maintains her creative integrity while also building and funding a business, something I struggle with, 
the risks they took to launch issue one of the magazine, and what starting her days slowly helps her to achieve. I hope you love this one as much as I do. I think I've got a bit of a crush. Here's Annika and I for Offline. P.S. If you find pregnancy and birth either triggering or just totally irrelevant to where you're at right now, please check the timestamps in the show notes to navigate this episode. I'm actually really excited to have an honest conversation with you and you've been on my list for a long time. Um, And one of the reasons I'm most excited is because the way you live and create is really in line with Offline's mission. And when I kind of see your work, I kind of feel like the way I talk about Offline, it's kind of it in action in a lot of ways. Um, And then yesterday you told me that you listened to the podcast and I was just like, get out of town. (laughs) Do you know, it's like the first and maybe like one of the, I've never listened to podcasts like ever. I was was like, when do people listen to them? I don't understand. Like, where do you fit that into your day? And because I'm a very like, I don't like doing like people like, oh, you pop it in while you're doing this or while you're making dinner. I'm like, oh, I like to be in the moment doing that or if I'm going to listen to it, really listen. And then lockdown happened (laughs) and I had a newborn. So I was going for like 12,000 walks a day and I was like, ah, this is where you listen to podcasts. And now I'm like obsessed. Now I'm like, come on, Vala, go to sleep so I can put my headphones in and listen to offline. (laughs) I love that so much. I am the same as you. I, the people who work with a podcast in the background, I'm like, absolutely not. And I think maybe that's, it's an interesting thing to think about, like, I do quite deep work and I think you do as well. Like it requires all of my being. Totally. Unless I'm doing emails or something, but I couldn't even do emails and listen. No, because I'd be like, wait, I I just missed a really important part. It would take me like four hours to listen to a one hour podcast because I keep going back. And stopping. Yes. (laughs) Um, I wanted to start with location. I actually didn't confirm this with you before we started recording, Mm. but you're in Melbourne now. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. But what I want to start talking about is um, you spent a couple of years in Dalesford in country Victoria and what a dream. I was like, why did you leave there? But I think a lot of people perhaps post-COVID, during COVID, whatever, um, I think a lot of us are thinking about do I actually need to be based in the place that I thought I did in order to do my job and live my life and be happy was there a particular moment that led to a conversation about moving to the country or not? Um, it's actually the best story. So we moved from Odin and I, I was born in Western Australia firstly. I lived in Perth. We moved up the coast of Western Australia and then we moved over to Queensland when I was starting high school. Um, Odin, my partner, is from the, from Queensland. So we met there, then we moved to Melbourne together and we had been in Melbourne for maybe, I reckon like two years, nearly two years. And we had started Jane at that point. We were working on the second issue and we went out to Woodend or the Macedon Ranges for a shoot. And we had only found the location through one of my friends and she actually lived in Woodend. And so we went out for this shoot 
and the day was freezing cold. Like we had to shoot, we had to pick the model up from the airport and we were late because we went out to our car and our whole windscreen was frozen. So we're sitting oh in the car. God. And so this is in Melbourne city, the windscreen's frozen. We're going like out country. So we're like with this model going out and I was like, oh my God, there's snow on the ground and like we drive into this tiny little cul-de-sac where we were doing hair and makeup and it's just like quaint country town and I just randomly was like I could live here and Odin was like what really and I was like for sure I could 100% live out here and so we did this shoot um it was really beautiful it was freezing the model was an absolute legend and like was in these beautiful clothes in like freezing cold so we get home And I was like, oh, my God, I would love to live somewhere like that. And we randomly just go on realestate.com and there's this beautiful house. Like Woodend is closer. Woodend's only like 40 minutes from the city, 50 minutes. Right. Um, That's so approachable. Yeah. Dalesford's an extra 50 again because it's further inland. So, like, we always go, okay, it's so it's such a nice town because it's so far from the highway. Like you have to drive at least 40, 50 minutes till you're even on a highway to get into the city. So we look at this house and we're like, oh, this can't be real. Like it was like no one's lived there since it's been renovated. It was like a Norwegian guy, freshly like Scandi designed. It's like exposed beams, concrete floor in the kitchen, like wooden reclaimed Tasmanian oak floors, like floor to ceiling windows in this like in on like five acres with this like natural dam and I was like is this a joke (laughs) and it was like four hundred dollars a week rent and we're like this can't be real oh that is like less than half of what I pay in Bondi (laughs) yeah right so we were like okay this is for sure a sign right and we're like okay Let's just see where the, when the inspection, a side note, we'd already just re-signed our lease in Collingwood. So we like, weren't exactly oh no. even looking to move. Um, so we go to the inspection. So that's Sunday. We go to the inspection on Wednesday, apply, and we're like, let's just leave it to fate and say that we don't want to move in until like a month. And he comes back, the real estate comes back and goes, there's only one other like person looking to apply they can move in within like a week can you change your dates and we're like oh the most we could probably do is three weeks like being a bit coy I don't know why anyway he he writes back and he's like okay the owners decided to go with the other people and so before then we're like let's leave it to fate you know the right thing will happen and then as soon as the other people get it we were like no that's our house like what have we done so we email him back. We're like, we'll pay more rent, like blah, 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 trying to like get it back. Yeah, because you're like, I'll pay 100 more a week. <laughs> yeah, right. And so then he um, ra- randomly, haven't we didn't hear anything from him for like five days and we were like mourning the loss of this house and then suddenly that's all we're looking for is like houses in Dalesford. <laughs> and he comes back to us just as we, we email him and we're like, just double checking, like we're assuming it's, you know, gone, blah, blah, blah. And he writes back and he goes, I was just about to email you. They were all approved, ready to come in and sign the lease. And about five minutes ago, they just said that they're not going through with it. So it's yours if you want it. And we are like, if that's not a sign from the universe, I'm not sure what is. Um, and yeah, we just moved. Like there wasn't any like yearning for the country before that, nothing. It was sort of just like everything pointed us in that direction. And it was the best decision that we've ever made like I oh we God. the restrictions lifted in Victoria on Monday and we've just 
we went to Dalesford straight away and spent like two days to show Fala all our favorite spots and like I don't know what it is about it and if everybody would feel the same it was just it's such a a special magical place for us and our family and our memories Mm. there um and I don't know we really learned a lot and it was so important and imperative for I think how we live our lives now like it taught us and not even in a um really bombarding or really hard way like it wasn't like we were like we're doing the work and we're like bettering ourselves and you know nothing like that it was super gentle and it was just something that like no agenda no agenda we just sort of suddenly we were like oh yeah well we ground in the morning we go outside and we put our feet on the earth like that's just what we did it wasn't like this checklist of things or ways to be mindful like I first started meditating there and so did Odin, not because of any other reason that we were like, oh, it's just nice to sit in silence for a while. And, um, yeah, we used to, like, it was just so fun. It was always like we had our own little universe and we could, like, escape because mm. we had five acres. So, like, we would just, like, I don't know, the weekends, like, we would have, like, mimosa Saturdays and, like, make pancakes and then go sit on the hill and drink tequila and, like, walk around the lake every day. Like, it was really wholesome but also really grounding and connecting without being, like, super spiritual like guru-y you know like we were still like having heaps of fun (laughs) yes it sounds like when I was reading about it I was like wait I think this is my dream and one of my questions for you was like tell us about the lessons learned living slowly in the country like what what did you figure out matters um I think before we moved so I'm a very, I'm a very highly sensitive person. I'm have. I read you're a very, very, very Pisces person. Very Pisces. Like I'm very empathetic. I'm a hundred percent highly sensitive. And, you know, as a child, I had big, big emotions. And back then, you know, our parents probably weren't equipped with the same information that we are now. So things like sensitivity or anxiety weren't so commonly understood. So I think a lot of the work I did in my adult life was sort of revisiting and healing that journey. Um, But when I got diagnosed with anxiety, I think for a few years you almost use it as a a bit of a crutch, like you can behave a certain way because you have anxiety. It's got a label now. It's something you can visibly like, I don't know, put in a box. So it almost gives you um, an excuse to behave in ways that are a little bit detrimental. Um, And same with this whole concept of being busy, like especially in our society, in the world we live in, this idea of being busy is really, um, you know, it puts you on a bit of a pedestal sometimes and, you know, it's like a, as a commodity, like the busier you are, the more successful you are or, you know, people don't Mm -hmm. sort of answer with how they really are feeling or how they are. It's just like, oh, I'm good, really busy, like it's this badge of honour to wear. I've been really, like some people in my life are like, just stop with it. I'm like, but I can't because when they say, when I ask them how they are and they say, good, yeah, really busy, I'm like, need more. Yeah, that's not a, that's not a. I need more. Yeah. And I think it's kind of on us, isn't it, as well to say like, I got to pull something else out of you because there's a lot going on, but giving me that stock standard answer. Yeah. And even if you're not busy, that doesn't mean you're unworthy. You know, like you could be like, "I'm, I'm great. I've literally 
been really calm or you know even just calm like I've been having a really beautiful gentle time with myself and that is equally as commendable as you know slogging yourself at work and getting lots of shit done (laughs) totally so was that a big realization for you that like you were perhaps more on autopilot than you'd realized in terms of that busyness totally and um it really gave us a chance to recalibrate in a way um, about what was important um, and sort of refine. I particularly took a long time to then refine and redevelop the type of work I was creating and why I was creating it Um, because in Jane is essentially somewhat in the fashion world so we were we were also doing freelance fashion work as well um and you know in the height of blogs and and influences and things like that you can get caught up in in a direction or in a world in that industry that doesn't really sit or align with who you are um and that none of that work ever came naturally or authentically to me I have never had that kind of agenda with what I wanted to create. It was always creating out of love and um, appreciation for art and looking at the world in that certain way. Um, And I think I almost came back to who I was when I was, Mm. you know, three or four or five. Like I've been creating things like that since I was a child. Like, I've, you know, I would write poems about the stars and the flowers, like for no reason other than I was really just curious about what they did at night and why wasn't anybody else talking or thinking about that. Um, mm. And I wanted to write about it in a way that was really pretty and nice. Um, and I kind of came back to it, but obviously with bigger world views than, you know, just looking out, out my window. What the stars? <laughs> <laughs> what do the flowers do at night? It makes a lot of sense, actually, yeah, knowing that you've been essentially writing since you were five. You know, when I read your work now, I, now that makes a lot of sense to me that, like, how old are you in your early 30s? Early 30s, yeah, 32. Like, you've been writing for 25 years. Yeah. You know? So yes. So it's so interesting when you dig and find that out about people because, you know, we have this sort of very, I think, Western obsession with, Um, progress and Mm -hmm. speed as a metric of success and really like when to read your work and know that you've spent decades honing your voice that's why it's so good (laughs) and that's what it takes a lot of people ask me like how do I get better it's like right 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 read 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 right 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 right, right. and you just yeah have to keep doing it so that's kind of really beautiful to know that you were writing poetry at five that's very sweet (laughs) yeah I've still got the um like one of my floppy disks with floppy disk yeah it's like it's got like Annika Hine with like the copyright sign circled on it (laughs) (laughs) I'm like well this Uh, can't get thrown out ever (laughs) at least you're across your um your copyright laws from honestly from early yeah well that's really interesting to learn because I was thinking a lot about like what were your reflections in that time and like you know why why did you end up moving back to Melbourne then? Are you in Melbourne now? Well, we're out. So we moved. Um, the The man who owned the home ended up, they went to Norway for a while because that's where obviously he was from. And we didn't know at the time when we moved that it was only a 12-month lease. They failed to 
oh, that's so disclose that information. Um, and so they ended up moving back and they didn't give us a lot of notice. Like I think the notice is like 30 days, the minimum that you have to give. They gave us a little bit more than that, but um, Dalesford is a very magical place, but finding a house is quite difficult. And our, our home there and the, the land that we were on was part of the magic. Um, and so we were in a bit of a, not a rush, but like we were in a bit of a situation where like we had to sort of move in a, in a certain timeline. And for whatever reason, we ended up moving back to Melbourne and I was absolutely devastated. Um, mm. Also, because I think not even just leaving the place, just in general, like I don't like to be rushed in anything. And I felt very rushed and not prepared. And like I hadn't had a moment to sort of sit with my feelings or my emotions and really process what was happening. And it, it can sound a little bit dramatic because it's just a house or, you know, it's just a, a town and you can always revisit. But it was almost like I needed like that moment to sort of mourn, okay, we're going to the next chapter of our life now yeah and I wasn't ready you want to turn the page yourself you don't want somebody just to like (laughs) literally flick you to the next chapter absolutely and the timing as well was horrible for us we were going back and forth between Paris our best friends were getting married in Queensland and we were flying you know we didn't have like a set sort of time there I think the day we moved I had to go up to a hen's weekend so or I had to like drive past our new house to the airport which was a terrible idea Odin was like we'll just stop in and see the new place and like so I'm like in the living room like on the floor like crying being like I hate this place and so upset and so get off the air the airplane in Brisbane and my dad picked me up I was like dad (laughs) (laughs) he's like what is wrong and I'm like my magical life is coming to an end And then I went like a little bit dramatic. I was like, I'm never going to be able to write again. The only reason I couldn't write is because I lived there. <laughs> These are those big emotions oh, coming God. Out. And so it all was fine in the end. We lived in Melbourne for a little while and then um, I got pregnant and we never sort of intended to stay in the city city for an extended period of time. It was sort of like, all right, let's like get our asses into gear a little bit because Yes, it's really beautiful to slow down and to realign your values, which is what we did in Dalesford, but also you're an hour and 45 minutes away from anything. So it can be mm. quite easy to be like, nah, I don't want to do that. Nah, I'm not going to grow my business in that way. Nah, I don't feel like doing that. We're just going to write these beautiful stories and do these beautiful photos and like whoever wants to see them can see them. <laughs> um, so it was good to move back in that sense. Um, but then when we got pregnant, um, we sort of started looking again to sort of move a little bit out. Um, and we ended up, we would have gone back to Dalesford, but we obviously didn't know that COVID and all the lockdowns was going to happen. If we had known that, we would have been a no-brainer to move that far away again. But being pregnant and also having, you know, certain work commitments we sort of wanted to be a little bit closer than that far. So we ended up moving out to the Dandenong Ranges, which is where we are now. Um, which is still beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. But it's um, it has been, I guess, hard because you were in the middle of the hills and we're in the mountains. So five kilometres when we had that restriction and 25 kilometres got us nowhere close to anyone. <laughs> 
so we were sort of like oh okay <laughs> just in the middle cool. of you yeah and like you know I was like around the corner from friends in where we lived in Melbourne um which would have been nice having Vala like nobody met Vala until she was I don't know maybe three and a half four months old I've got a few friends who have had this experience and what a beautiful kind of curious, interesting story to tell her when she gets older is like totally. you were born into lockdown. Uh-huh. Like that is She was born on the 20, epic. 26th of March. So she was born at the first lockdown, like the day after I think we went into the first lockdown. And then, um, yeah, then obviously three and a half of her months later was this stage four crazy I've been taking like a photo I, well, when we were in lockdown. I was taking a film photo every day of like our house or her or what we were doing and writing like a little journal note so that we can tell her and show her like these three and a half months of her life when we were like just living in these four walls of this house. <laughs> That's incredible. Did you have any trouble getting to the hospital or anything like that? Um, so I had a home birth. Um I was actually that really, when I said hospital, I was like, she definitely would have had a home birth. I don't know why I said hospital. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we I ended up having to go to the hospital though. So I had, Vala was born at home and then I had to have emergency transfer to the hospital because the um, her placenta was retained. Um, oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so it was a little bit, that was a little bit traumatic, um, but we didn't have any issues getting there. It's just that we're a little bit far away. So it was a bit of um, touch and go for a while. <laughs> Mm, so is that the ambulance? Yeah, in the ambulance. Yeah, oh and God, which that's yeah, on. I mean, and also it was a bit hard because of all of the restrictions. Um, I had to go in the ambulance by myself, and Odin had to take Vala in the car. <laughs> yeah. How do you even like? I guess even reflecting on that now, was that just a complete out of body experience? Because I can't even imagine birthing <laughs> and that realness of like the child I've been growing Uh is now here and then immediately being taken away. Yeah. So I, it was a long labor as well. Like I was in labor for 36 hours at home and then. Lady. Yeah. So then she was, Vala was born and, um, you know, she was put on my chest and everything was, you know, nice. And then I sort of felt the energy shift in the room and you can you sort of can feel the midwives panicking a little bit um and so I lost two and a half liters of blood which is why they I had to call the ambulance obviously um and I don't like I had to keep asking Odin to repeat or to like retell what had happened because I almost couldn't I feel like it didn't happen to me I couldn't remember anything I was obviously in shock I was you know and that's critical like a trauma condition. coping me- mechanism, isn't it, where we actually shut down? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I just remember, like, I get, like, flashes of little bits of memory. Um, so that was, I don't know. And also I think if you're planning any kind of birth, you're telling yourself stories the whole time of how you expect it to go and how you want it to go and what you're preparing yourself for. So I think that was a lot of had to go through the motions a little bit and really unpack and deal with certain parts of it later down the track. You know, you wake, I woke up yeah. from surgery and, you know, you think everything's not fine, but you're like, okay, well, I'm alive and Vala is obviously fine. And, and it's not till, it wasn't until like a, maybe a week or a couple of weeks later that it started hitting me. And I was like, wait, so I did all this, all of this during pregnancy and tried to have the most natural birth for her. 
And then I ended up having to go into surgery and be pumped full of drugs. So then the first, uh, that's what I was talking to my, you know, saying to myself. So the first milk that she had after she was born was like full of all these drugs and that's not how I wanted it. And she wasn't with me for the golden hour. And, you know, there was a lot to sort of go through. And obviously Odin had to work through it from his end as well, because he's got a newborn baby in a car and he doesn't know if his partner's alive or not. So, um, and then we obviously had no family here. (laughs) We were by ourselves. And also it was COVID. So they, like, I lost a lot, a lot of blood and I got discharged two days after. And like with the newborn, they're like, okay, like we're trying to get everybody out as, you know, as quick as possible because of what was happening and everything was going into lockdown. Um, yeah, so it wasn't really what we had planned, <laughs> but mm. um, I guess I think everybody sort of says that you get the birth that you need mm. um, and I sort of started to look at it like valid. I was, I'm such a perfectionist and such a people pleaser and, you know, you use those as markers of your self-worth or, you know, things like that. Um and so I think learning to surrender to something that was less than perfect but was exactly what needed to happen or what was supposed to happen or I'm not sure why mm-hmm. it happened but, you know, it was obviously the path that that had to happen for Vala to come into the world. Um, and, I mean, you can do as much self-work as, as you can until you have a baby Um then they really force you to go there. You think you're like, oh, I've got this. I'm I'm on the path. I'm doing all of this work. And then you, yeah, then they throw everything else at you and they uncover all of these hidden gems and all the grit and the dirt and everything that's underneath that you the have messiness. to totally. And you have to you have to deal with it and process it and work through it. And um, yeah, so that was our. Mm, well, I think story. can talk a lot about um, relevancy mm. and that concept kind of sounds a bit one-dimensional when you say it, but when you really sit in it and think that every experience I have is relevant to my personal evolution mm-hmm. and it's purposeful, it's pre-designed Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's huge because you're like, wow, I don't really have to suffer in anything anymore because... I know it's all for me. I'm still going to feel pain. Yeah. But it's the suffering that's uh-huh. optional. I actually have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank that you. So I was going to tell you before we started recording and I was like, no, do it like Aww, in the conversation. That's so yeah, exciting. And I was telling you, I'm trying to, season six onwards, I'm trying to, oh, even so I have actually haven't said that on record before, but yeah. um I'm just trying to be more open. I'm trying yeah. to I really have been withholding a lot of myself out of fear of criticism and judgment and not pleasing everyone and I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. And so um so yeah, so I'm twenty nine weeks tomorrow. <gasps> How are you feeling? I feel really good and this is interesting for us to discuss because yeah. I think because my journey getting to this point was so complex and mm-hmm. painful. I kind of had this belief that that was just going to be my story. And so, of course, you're going to be sick when you are pregnant and it's going to be hard Mm -hmm. and all of this stuff. And, you know, 
a lot of, I know mums will tell me differently, but 29 weeks in, I'm still waiting for the bad shit to happen. And it's been a real process of me just accepting that, no, you get this and you deserve this. And why wouldn't this baby, you know, who's always going to be your baby? Yeah. It's a girl as well. Like, oh, I'm like I'm so whole body goosebumps. I'm just like, why wouldn't she be kind to me? Oh. You know, and um, I feel like we've already developed such a beautiful relationship. Mm. Um, and part of that is me learning to trust her and me believing in her. And yeah, so, um, but I've had a lot of anxiety. Like, it was really only up until week 20, yeah. like to 23, that I was like, you're allowed to let yourself believe that you're going to have this baby. Even talking about it now is very triggering for me because I'm like, shouldn't I wait until I actually have her in case, but I've got to really stop that in its tracks because I can't be that way. Yes. No, you just have to. It's so difficult though because your mind can't, you have a a life inside your belly like, and, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to, celebrate that in all that it is but then especially certain personality types I think maybe you I I would get you get these flashes of like horrible dark thoughts that Mm -hmm. are you know worrying or you know and it's obviously is just anxiety throwing yes a curveball in and that I think is the biggest work is going you're not for me like that's not what's happening that's not the reality I'm not engaging with you and you can't have this you have everything else yeah anxiety you cannot have this yeah yeah yes exactly because it's the catastrophizing isn't it it's like oh this happens then I'll do this and I'll feel this Uh and this planning and like I've had a healer once tell me that I am in this constant state of um grief that I'm grieving things before they happen in order to prepare myself for yeah. difficult events, and it's like, oh, what a beautiful way to be in the yeah. world. <laughs> <laughs> That's one, Alison. Oh, God. Um, so, no, I really appreciate hearing your story because I guess <clears throat> I'm getting to that point where I'm like obviously thinking a lot about the birth and yeah. my intentions for the birth and Tony's intentions for the yeah. birth. And um, so I love Surrender. I love the birth stories. I haven't Surrender. really listened to any. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let go. Um but it's interesting, right, because I think, and who knows, by the time this comes out, my assumption is she'll be here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so who, maybe I'll have a different story to tell, but a lot of people that know me are like, so are you, you know, home birth in the water with yeah. the, you know, the guru and yeah, the yeah. <laughs> sandalwood? And I'm like, I know you, I know that that is exactly what people think of me, but I think based on what I've been through, yeah, I'm going full private clinical, like I wanted really consistent care. I have an amazing obstetrician who's a man, which was very like that, that threw me because I always thought I would be cared for by a woman. And um, so I'm doing the opposite where I'm kind of going in and having everything available. Yeah. 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 I, and this is the thing, like you can prepare and read as many stories or listen to as many things but your body will always know what it needs and your baby will tell you how you need to birth her out because I I thought that I would be in the water 
and we've got a big bath in our house and I was like this is perfect like I don't even have to have a a birthing pool like we can just be in the comfort of our own bath and I'm going to have this music on and I'm going to be repeating all these affirmations and you know the clary sage is going to be in the diffuser and yeah it was very calm and peaceful and quiet but I wasn't quiet like I was breathe I the noises that I was making I couldn't make now again you like the mm. breathing this deep like guttural primal breathing or moaning almost you can't like my throat was so sore after when the, the few days wow. after um and yeah, after a few hours in the bath, I got, and my water still hadn't broke. They only broke two hours after she was born. And I always, oh, wow. yeah, I always thought she was going to be born in her waters. And I think that's because if I'd stayed in the bath, maybe she would have been because it was only once I got out, out of the bath that they, they broke on the bathroom floor. And then the midwife's, um, you know, I, I have walked around the hallway a little bit and they refilled the bath to make it warmer. And I was like, I'm not getting back in there. Like I have to be on land. I need to be like grounded. Obviously I wasn't saying any of this. I was sort of just like pushing people away. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So like, you know, I had all these visions of, you know, she was going to be in the water and it was going to be this and that. And um, yeah, she ended up, I was out of the water and I was on the bed laying on my back, which I was a hundred percent, almost a little That's bit so cocky interesting. during pregnancy being like, women aren't supposed to birth on their backs. And like, I knew anything. Um and yeah, after I was squatting, I was in all these different positions and uh, that ended up being the best way for her to come into the world. And also for me to be able to get the like traction and the strength that I needed. Um, and that wasn't a coached move or decision or anything that was, would you like to try this? Would you like to try this? And that's how I ended up. And I don't know why, but for some reason, my, um, perfectionist tendencies grasped onto that so for like months after I was like I have failed that I did that I none of the bad stuff would have happened if I had just gotten back into the bath or if I had just you know lay squatted down or or stood up or leaned on the wall or something like for some reason I grasped onto the fact that I had laid down and that it was my fault that everything had happened and that I learnt then was because I well not learnt but I tried to reframe I guess and work through that my idea of what the perfect birth was was not actually the reality of what happened but that doesn't mean that it was any less perfect for me Mm. and my baby and the situation and I think that was one of the first lessons of you know you have to let go and being perfect isn't a reflection of your self-worth or what happens isn't a reflection of how people perceive you um Mm -hmm. yeah I I don't and I still don't know why I grasped onto that or why I was so obsessed with that fact um yeah and I like I was like manic, like looking at birth photos on Instagram, like scrolling, 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 trying to find pictures of women who were laying on their back to almost be like, oh, it's okay, like you did an okay job. And I was like, what am I doing? Like sh- everything, like I wasn't forced into anything. I chose those decisions and that was the right thing for me. I don't know why I felt like that that was a, a failure, but mm. I guess it, it, it unturns some 
deep um, things that you well, need that to heal. Be, that must be the relevancy of it because exactly. you had to make your intellect so uncomfortable in order to transcend the perfectionism maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, because I think you're like me, like I can't, I don't just like softly learn. No. I have to be like on the floor at the deepest, darkest moment where I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, right. I see. No. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, oh, okay, I, I got this. I totally understand mm. now. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I have... um. I think I have, where I've arrived is I have some preferences mm. for how um, I hope it goes. And I keep, I've been talking a lot about hope during this pregnancy. I'm hopeful. Yeah. You know, I believe yes. in her. I believe in us. I'm yes. hopeful. Um, so I have hopes for the birth. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I said to my obstetrician, you know what, if I don't end up staying at home as long as I think I will to labor naturally, yeah. all of that, maybe I'll just come in at like two centimeters and get the epidural and yeah and that will that'll be, be what story. I do and he was like I'll be there for you no matter what and I said or you know where will you because you know I had that kind of fear with obstetricians where there is this preference to give you drugs and lie you down and I said what happens yeah. if I want to be up and I'd you know I'd same as you I'd love to be squatting um and moving around and he just said I'll meet you wherever you are like That's and great. I'll come wherever you are in the room and that just gave me so much. Like he, honestly, I mean, I'll probably record with him. I am obsessed with him. He's so kind. And I think that's important as well is um, reframing a lot. The change of narrative and change of story in birth is very, so important. And the work that's being done for the cause of natural birth and to sort of reclaim birth, not even just naturally, but choices is so important. Mm. But I think sometimes it can go the other way where you feel um, like you haven't done it right if you're not doing all of these natural, you know. The you know, inter- A's guide to childbirth. Right, you know, no intervention and things. And I think that that's um, the message got lost a little bit because I don't feel like the message was ever this is the way to do it and this is how we have to heal birth. Because that is just exactly the opposite of the intention. The intention was to give women back the choice so that they feel in control of their situation. And we have all of these options available so we should feel free and empowered to choose the best mm-hmm. way for us. Um, and I think sometimes Instagram has a little bit of a, a little bit to play in that because you just see these beautiful, like some of the photos of these beautiful, they're beautiful photos of these women in pools. And I'm like, the water is not that blue. I'm like, I've been in that water. <laughs> there is blood in that water. There is mucus in that water. I vomited like three times. Like where's yeah. that representation? Because that to me is the, is real birth and I thought that's the journey that we were sort of on to re reclaim this rite of passage or you know this journey that women go through not making it perfect but just in an opposite environment yeah it's big stuff and I feel like it's something I'm probably yeah likely going to explore extensively on the podcast and you know for anyone listening I guess my hope is that we 
can very quickly catch ourselves in any judgment and shift out of that and just respect each other's decisions. Like a lot of my personal choices through this pregnancy are um, directly related to what I've been through beforehand. And so I often think, gosh, maybe if I was that woman who we decided to try and we fell first time and I had this blissful pregnancy, I absolutely would love to think about a home birth, a natural birth, um, being as unassisted as possible and just moving into that very primal place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's been a big thing for me is just reconciling that that's not my story because, mm-hmm. you know, my anxiety has proven itself to be a bigger, uglier beast than what I'd even thought. Absolutely. And pregnancy anxiety is very different to just my other types of <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I do hesitate to label because, as you said, once we label it, you know, we kind of attach ourselves to that label. But it's very real, you know what I mean? And so a big part of it's being what do I need to do? And I had some great advice from my acupuncturist. Mm. What do I need to do in order to feel calm in my body? And, you know, my poor obstetrician, I was like, for a while I was scanning every week up until literally like I think 18 weeks and he happily saw me. Like he was like, hello. How are you again? Jump on the bed. Exactly. And then I kind of moved to two weeks and then now I'm at three weeks. We tried four and I called. I was like, listen, this is absurd. I need to go. (laughs) So, so, and so I just want to share that to say, like, if there's anyone listening that has very deep preferences around birth, that, Mm. yeah, we can just move out of, yeah, any judgment that might be coming up and just have this sort of mutual respect for our. Of yeah. each other's decisions, and if we've all if we're, if we're armed with information, that's all we can really hope is that we have all all of the information and all of the options available and presented to us in a non judgmental way, and then we're given the freedom and the ability to choose for ourselves and for our own journey and what we know is going to be the best way to birth and for our child to be birthed into the world. And that's Mm. exactly what you said. It's removing any sort of judgment and knowing that every woman is just doing what she feels is the best route for her. Yeah, her and her family. Absolutely. I'm so glad we had that chat. And um, I want to thank you because I don't often feel very comfortable to open up. And I think because you've been so yeah, just real. It kind of gave me a bit of permission to be like, come on, Alison. I'm glad. I haven't, I haven't told really anybody that's my... Oh, wow. But yeah. <laughs> I was just oh, sort well, of, you I'm know. Very <laughs> um, so we haven't hit any of the questions I have for you. Um, <laughs> okay, that's it for our pregnancy, birth and baby chat. I added some timestamps to the show notes for this episode, so if you're just joining us at this point, welcome. We're about to get into some money themes. Annika's work is refined and purposeful, and in a way, it exists for a very specific audience. So I was curious to understand how she maintains her creative integrity, whether it's a collaboration that comes with a decent paycheck but that might not be 100% aligned with her creative purpose. As a self-funded business owner, I truly struggle with this on the regular. It's a really hard concept and a really difficult decision to make, I think, as a creative or as a business owner, to say no to money um, and 
an added layer of that for um, for Odin and I is that Jane, as a publication, is self-funded or it's independent, I should say, um, and part of it is still self-funded. So from an aspect, we do rely on some of our freelance work to put money back into our passion project. I don't know if it's really a passion project, our project that fulfills us and, um, you know, creates that sense of love and appreciation for our practice. Um, So I think sometimes if it's a hard no, it's pretty obvious it's in the body, isn't it? Where you're yeah, like, no. you're like this feels. Or you can try and you try and start working on it, or even just start coming mm. up with ideas for like the pitch or the meeting, and you're like, this is not happening. Like I can't, I can't figure out how I would do this. So I think it's sort of in everyone's interest to be kind of upfront and real about that. Um, but if you're sort of, if I can find a way to do it, I always, and I know that it's for the greater good, which is Jane or which is our livelihood in our creative practice. Um, I try and talk through the brief and see how I can pull out little parts that will make it feel authentic to me or will make it sit a little bit better in, in my body and talk that through with the client or with the business that we're working with. Um, and I think sometimes there's ways to get around that so that you, because at the end of the day, you've got to eat and you've got to pay rent. Um, so as much as it would be lovely to be able to only do projects that do fulfill you and to, to, to bring you joy, sometimes you have to do that nitty gritty work that doesn't a hundred percent align with you, or maybe you wouldn't necessarily share that you did it, but I also think as a creative, you have a responsibility to anybody who you've decided to work with. So just because it doesn't 100% align with your values, if you've found a way to make it um, feel okay for you, then you do owe it to the client or to whoever you're working with to really give it your all and still do a really brilliant yeah. job. And sometimes it it does, for me anyway, it does re- rely on this idea of surrender. So like, okay, get over it in, you know, it doesn't have to be this perfectly poetic thing that you're going to like blast all over your social or actively share with everybody that you've done. But there is a client out there for, or a customer out there for this product. So you still can do this really brilliant creative thing just because it's not a hundred percent your vision or your brand Um, doesn't mean that it's, any less worthy in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very powerful. But I 100% think that we've been a little bit braver and bolder this year, Odin and I, saying no to things that are that hard no regardless of the money. And if that means that we have to try and budget differently or pull money elsewhere or realign budgets or things like that, then that's what we'll do because um, – I can sort of get around most things and try and I can be like, oh, okay, I can make it, I can make it align with me this way and I can do it this way. Um, as long as the fundamentals and the vision is not something that I wholeheartedly don't agree with. Mm. But 
Odin's a very like, it's got to be a hell yes for him. Otherwise, it's like, uh, absolutely not. I don't even know how I'm physically or creatively going to understand how I can do this. And when we work as a team, that's really difficult because he's essentially the person behind the camera or the video um, device, I guess, because we shoot on Super 8. Um, So that's really difficult if he's like, I don't even, I don't, I can't bring anything to the table here because I don't agree with it. I don't understand. creative essence isn't there like do you lose some of the magic of totally your creative partnership when one person isn't yeah yeah and there's also no point in me even doing any work then if it can't actually be um envisioned or come to life through the actual Mm. medium that it needs to um so yeah but I think that it it is um you have to be brave and it's scary as hell and we're in a position where we're both that you know we're both in it so it's not like we can sort of be like oh it's okay well so-and-so's got this job the salary or yeah yeah so um it's a process definitely and sometimes I think you've just got to um try and make it work if you can yeah and you know and I think that's part of what I'm learning is I know when I almost have to make it work and now when I actually don't. And Absolutely. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you used the word bravery because um, I talk about this a lot in my one-on-one coaching sessions. Like mm. we have to be courageous enough to say no when everybody else is saying yes because you'll be the same. I see the jobs I turn down yeah. on Instagram and stuff like that or podcast jobs I've turned down, most of those. and. Yeah. And, you know, there's that absolutely that moment of like, what are you fucking doing? Like, is your integrity getting in the way of you building an actual business here? Because look at them, they're doing very well. (laughs) Yeah. But then I think a lot about, and you run a very conscious business and that's my intention with mine, this is at least a 10-year business. And so the decisions I make today are going to matter in a handful of years' time. Uh And so I just have to sit in that integrity and know that, you know, you turn that down and they are those physical body no's. Yes. And then to your point, I think clients, my experience has been clients are actually looking for that thought leadership from us for you to kind of almost reinterpret their brief Mm -hmm. through the lens of your brand or your personal brand. And maybe perhaps our failure to do that sometimes is the shame because we don't Mm. feel, and I would say to any creative, especially a female creative who has that sort of very impostery syndrome thing, Mm -hmm. is like lean into the brief and respond to the brief. Don't just, and like reinterpret the the brief. You don't have to just give them what they want. You Absolutely. Yeah. If you need permission, then we are giving you permission to say actually it could look and sound a little bit like this and these are the reasons why that would do really well and be important for us Uh to... For you to be around as a brand. Yeah. Um, and I think that's our role and, like, that's sort of almost what you owe anyone who you're working with is there's a 100,000 people doing exactly what you're doing. The reason that somebody's going to work with you is because of the way that you see the world or the way that you interpret a brief or the way that you respond to your surroundings. And there's obviously a reason why they have potentially reached out to you or why you've approached them. Um, so I think that you can sort of rely or lean into your instincts a little bit there and do, you know, go big or be a little bit brave in, I know everybody else is doing it this way, but wouldn't it be cool if we could do it this way? Um, 
And then there's that bit of give and take with the client and and you, because as the creative, you're always going to be more about the vision and they're obviously always going to be more about the bottom lines. Yeah. (laughs) And like, how's this going to convert? So my least favorite word. I don't know. I know. I'm not the strategist. doesn't have to convert. (laughs) It's just going to look really beautiful and Mm. the people who need to see it will find it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I think find your vision and your voice. And then part of that bravery is being really brave by sticking to your guns. And it doesn't, it allows you then to not have to say no to everything, but you can almost reimagine things that come your way to make it work with your vision while still fulfilling a client's need and being able Mm. to pay your rent. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and build a business and reinvest in your business. Absolutely, and, and you're you're going. You're all you're doing is really um, reinvigorating that vision of your business because the more things you do in your voice, the clearer that is for the outside world to understand what it is that you're trying to say through your work, and make it makes your work instantly recognizable. Mm-hmm. If you've got Which that is so really true clear for brand. what you do. Yeah, there's no denying when it's your work, which is so, so nice. So talking of bravery, um, obviously Jane is a print publication. (laughs) Talk to us about the, um, I like talking about risk, like Mm -hmm. what were the risks when you were launching a print publication in what was, you know, was it two or three years ago? It'll be four years in December. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Four years ago, we were in a huge time of transition in the media landscape then Mm -hmm. and we continue to be. So, yeah, talk to us about that type of bravery and also like the risk involved with, yeah, going print when everyone was going (laughs) digital. Um, So we – I always – knew that I would work in magazines in a way I think like in in year 12 you know when you write what you're going to be like that's just what I was going to do like I was just going to work for a magazine whether it was my own or not and I think we collectively Odin and I started to feel frustrated at um we were obviously in the industry in a way that we were creating work we were creating editorials we were shooting or creating concepts um I was um, visioning these beautiful stories to tell. Um, but we weren't finding that in other publications because everything had obviously turned digital as the, as the most obvious point, but also the print publications that were left, um, kind of felt a little bit more tailored towards consumerism or towards trends or towards things that had a timestamp on them, which just made them a physical copy of what was being um, presented online. And we really wanted to make something that people kept and to reinvigorate that um, imagination and that creative approach to not just consuming product, but consuming art and also creating art. Um, so the risk was huge because <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. Like neither of us had worked in publications ever before. I, I mean, I that. had worked in like a little one in, in Queensland. It's like not, I, I didn't learn anything in terms of how to run it. I, 
I had like I maybe a year of experience and like a uni degree that wasn't tailored towards that either. <laughs> so we were just like, oh, yeah, okay, well, we're just going to do a magazine and we want it to be anti-consumerist. So it's not going to have any advertising at all and it's going to be great and we're going to do two a year. That sounds pretty good and it's going to be bound and it's going to be hard covered and it's going to be these beautiful thick pages and that's just what we're going to do. And that was it. Like that we we just started making things to go into this imaginary publication. Um, and then we figured out how expensive it is to print a magazine <laughs> and that you don't actually make that much money from the sales, if mm. any money. So the first issue was the biggest risk, obviously, because we didn't have any advertising to put in it because you can't sell advertising for a publication that doesn't exist. We had no mm-hmm. contacts, no industry contacts. Um, oh, my God. We had no – we had visions that it wanted to – we wanted it to be beautiful, high-caliber art, fine art, fashion, luxury fashion brands but none of that was obviously in the first issue. So we still produced it um, and we got a loan to pay for the printing and the distribution and did a launch event, which in hindsight was maybe jumping the gun a little bit. Um, But it got out and we I remember sitting in our office together and we were like, we need to get this to the brands and to the houses that we want to be in the magazine. And we were trawling the internet to find the correct email addresses and the correct contacts for luxury fashion houses. And we would find, you know, like an info email. So we would know what the back end of the email would be like. And then we would be able to, then we would sort of find or know of the name of the person who was in the role that we needed to. So you were literally like we were a hundred percent faking it until we're making it. Like we were mm. typing in email combinations that could potentially like work. name dot last name at. Yeah. And then we're like, <laughs> okay, that bounced back. Maybe it's the full name dot last name. Yeah. So it was very humble, humble beginnings. Um, and yeah, issue two, I remember we hadn't started creating it yet I don't think um but we got my phone rang and I was like oh who calls in this day and age I was like who is this number I was like I don't know if I should answer and so I answer and it is um the marketing director or um the communications manager of Hermes and then and he's like I've seen Jane um and we really love what you're doing. Can you please put the back cover on hold for us for an ad for the next issue? And I was like holding the phone, being like, oh my God. And I'm like trying to like whisper to Odin cool, that it's a cool. mess. And I was like, yes, no worries. I can 100% do that for you. Um, Consider that locked in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll just have to shuffle some things around, but I'm sure we can make that work. <laughs> Um, and I guess that they can't, they, they just saw the vision. They saw the potential of what we were trying to create because there was no high fashion brands in the first issue. Um, but they saw 
what it was that we were trying to create. And once we had a physical copy to send to people, they wanted to be in it. And that mm, kind of no um, doubt. re-inspired us that what we were doing or the risk that we took was working or was, you know, worth it, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of just snowballed from there. And we've stayed really, apart from, apart from our very ambitious dream to have no advertising, um, we've pretty much, <laughs> that was a big first lesson, but um, we've learned. I had the same thing. Oh I'm God. not going to monetize offline. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't want to create mm. an actual business that I can live off. How, yeah. how ridiculous. <laughs> um, we've, we'd stayed, we have stayed pretty true to our original vision, which was yeah. to change the way we create and consume art and fashion and media and to create something that people really want to sit down and spend time with. Um, mm. Yeah. And so... This is literally the power of intention. Mm -hmm. And why do we have this obsession, particularly in media, with monetizing something that doesn't even exist yet? It's kind of like, well, if it doesn't monetize and it's not worth doing. I'm challenging this across the board. It's like, you know, for clients, the fact that you self-funded the first issue, Mm -hmm. there's a belief system there that is unshakable that says like we're in this and we're doing this so therefore you can trust us yeah um and that was the same as me with offline I think I went my first two seasons self-funded yeah and you know that's pulling money out of savings absolutely and we frankly didn't and still don't have a lot and so there's a huge risk and I talk a lot about the conversation I have with Tony to say like this is how much I think I need. Mm -hmm. I also need six months where Mm -hmm. I don't take other jobs and do weird consulting and stuff that's going to, you know, redirect my energy to something that isn't, you know, aligned or purposeful or needed, frankly, in the world. Um, And so when you have, well, if you're able to in a position to, and you took the loan out, which is something I absolutely would have done as well. And part of me was like, well, why the fuck did I work 15 hours a day for eight years in that big job if I can't take some of my own bloody money and put it into something that is going to be legacy for me, Uh you know, because if I just do this one season, that's what I want to show my kid. Yes. Forget all the other things that come up when you Google Alison Rice and just listen to this. This is what (laughs) I'm really proud of. Yeah. This is me. And, um, And I think, honestly... I don't think I could have even monetized that season. I had some kind of early conversations with clients, but mm. it was more just exploratory to say, well, what would it look like? I had never really thought I would yeah. actually book the first season. Yeah, I don't think I could have achieved what I did, same as you, if I'd had that kind of commercial influence because sure. you can't actually get your true product out there of like mm. this is my stake in the ground of of what it is. So um, I really value you sharing that starting story because I don't think we talk about those bits, you know, how much we have to back ourselves and literally it's terrifying you put in. Yeah. And you could lose it all, you know, but it's just, it's just money. Yeah. 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 That's me. It's just money. Had none then, have none now. (laughs) Got a bit more now. Um, So, okay. Let me see what else I've got for you. Annika and I moved on to discussing our responsibility as privileged white women with platforms and audiences. 
I shared with her and, as she well knows, so many of us collectively woke up to our privilege in 2020 and all of the ways we will continue to benefit from it. The very act of being a publisher is in itself activism. Well, I think it can be anyway. I asked Annika to share what Jane has done and is doing to be a stronger ally to Black, Indigenous people of colour and other underrepresented people. Firstly, when a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement happened in the middle of this year, we didn't want to ever pretend to be an authority or a place that people should come to to find resources about that topic because it was not our, um, it wasn't, we don't have the resources to provide that to people and there was much better suited people putting information out there. So that was our approach um, in the heat of it was sharing the people who the wider community could go to or should be going to to re-educate themselves and to unlearn. From a diversity perspective, um, that was really part of our original ethos in saying that it we never wanted to portray a commercial standard or a commercial idea of beauty in a skinny, potentially, you know, a specific-sized white woman with perfect skin. Our idea was always to um, go more unconventional and to offer a broad range of this idea of beauty or what is inspirational, I guess, um, Mm. or the stories that need to be told. Um, So we've always, from issue one, had diverse representations of what beauty or what women or what humans look like or should look like or can look like or would look like. Um, there's a lot of shoots in our publications that don't have any makeup artists or any hairstylists on set. Um, the, wh- where we struggle from a diversity perspective is because we're an independent magazine and we're obviously still growing, we don't have the huge pull or the huge name or the huge budgets to go in and ask for specific models. A lot of the time in a lot of our editorials, we're relying on, we provide a brief with a team and a concept and a location and the agencies will give us back a package of women who are available um, for that shoot. So in a sense, we're at mercy to who they're willing to offer and I find we struggle with the diversity in that aspect because a lot of this is when we talk about it being systemic, this is it. We get packages and there is no diversity. So obviously this year specifically, we have gone back and said, we need to see more. We need more diversity in these packages, but you're still at the mercy of who is who's at the top end providing the options to you um so that is a bit of that is quite difficult um I think that as a publication as a lot of media we obviously there's always ways to improve and we're constantly learning and re re re-looking and revisiting 
our intentions and what we're portraying um, to our readers. But I do think um, even from a written perspective as well, we offer some beautiful insights and interviews with a wide, wide range of um, voices, voices, creatives, people in their field um, doing wonderful, amazing things, offering alternative views on the world. Um, and it becomes less of a visual thing and more of a collective changing the way we look at the world as a whole rather than mm-hmm. this specific issue that we are not an authority on. Yeah. So if we think about bravery, mm. have you already had that conversation that says, well, we need to find other agencies then? Because I think especially in the fashion community and industry in this country, as you you would have come to know in the past four years, it's extremely small. Mm-hmm. It's extremely elite. Mm-hmm. And so at what point, so you're producing this product that is very in demand. It's very progressive. Um, it's very mature. And so at what point do you say, well, you can't have this anymore and we're going to go somewhere else and like, you know, give our work to mm. those agencies that are now starting to, you know, really hit their stride, which is amazing that have, you know, they are built on the foundation of representation. In Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so um, a lot of the photographers that work on shoots will come back to us with packages and in the past issue, even probably the past three issues, that's when that conversation has started and we've said, okay, well, there are some beautiful options here but there's no diversity in the packages that you've sent through. You need to mm. go back to other agencies and we need to see more options so that we can really make sure that we're we're representing a wide range of what a human looks like. Yeah, yeah. And so that people of all races and all identifications can find a view or a version of themselves in the pages of our magazine and they can relate to what we're producing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for going there with me because that's kind of been my own. If I think about I'm moving well out of, um, you know, my reflection and examination of my privilege now and into like what does intentional action look like? And it Mm is me asking the fucking question that Mm -hmm. I feel not equipped a lot of the time to ask and, you know, worried um, about how it's going to be perceived. But at the same time, I've, yeah. The silence is the consent, isn't it? So I appreciate you going there with me. And even the, this is to even talk about privilege. I thought this morning I should flag with her that I'm going to ask that. And I said, no, no Alison, this is what it's about. Is like, don't <laughs> put people on the spot. Wool. Yes. <laughs> well, because um, then the answer's real. And, you know, you force people to actually, not force, you invite people to really think of it from a true place rather than, okay, what's going to be perceived in the way that I want the audience to hear me. And that's the main thing. Like we are not as a publication an authority and there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of ways that we can do better. And um, I think that that is our role is acknowledging that firstly and then making small changes as they are able to be made rather than, criticizing people for trying to do their best if it's not all and everything straight away because yeah these are huge concepts and huge constructs that need to be reframed and, and dismantled yeah. and unlearned yeah and it's not something that can just happen overnight and it, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be something that can happen overnight because it's a 
it's a massive, massive undertaking. Yeah. Um, I have two more questions for you. I'm inspired, I think is the right word, by how you open and close your day. And I know that this might have evolved quite a bit since you've had a baby, obviously, but can you briefly tell us some of the kind of rituals that you you do? Because um sounds dreamy. So um, it was obviously very dreamy when we lived in Dalesford, which is when we started yeah. <laughs> doing those. <laughs> which probably was the most of the reading I did. They, I mourn those. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so now um, it's changed a little bit, obviously, because of Vala. So um, Odin will now wake up and in, in the early morning, he's an early riser. So he'll be up and that's sort of his time and he um, he will meditate and he'll have his um, coffee or whatever it is that he needs in the morning and then he does goes and exercises. So he goes and does his run and he'll come back. And then we've worked out a nice little system where when he comes back, then he will um, be with Vala for about an hour and a half so that I can go and do my rituals because I was finding it really difficult to sort of be present and in the moment when I hadn't had that moment. Um, so I get up, I have a hot lemon water, um, you know, I'll do my yoga or Pilates, whatever I'm feeling that day. Um, and then I try and meditate, which is something that I'm still not great at. I wanted to do that, um, the course that you and Dahlia oh, are offering. Oh, my God. But I missed out. Journey. So I will be on the next one. Don't you worry. I think we're doing four next yes. year. So I'm so excited. I'll make sure I let you know. Yes. yes. But it, that it's it's you're so right. It's a good one for like um, moving into routine with it. Like it does kind of really solidify. Exactly the word. I wanted, I want to make meditation practice a part of my daily life in a more um structured way in a in a sense rather than just like oh I kind of meditate or you know like I'm not really that strict with it or you know I'll you know I definitely lean on it to help me shift through certain emotions but it's not something that I'm like it's um woven into the thread of, of my everyday um, yeah. Yeah. So I will meditate or even just do some deep breaths and stretching. Um, we used to go out and ground every morning, just like walk on the earth, which we, I, we try and do, but it's sort of now in the afternoons, I guess. Um, and then I go for a big walk with Vala, listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Love you for that. Um, yeah. And then we'll come back and get started. Um, and I think though that slow morning was really what we learned in Dalesford is that we do, we work for ourselves. So we're, we're creating our flow and the ebbs and flow of energy. And I'm much better in short bursts in the middle or in the evening of the, of the day, rather than this pressure to get started by eight o'clock in the morning. And um, I think that that really is a social construct that we're sort of sold and it's marketed to us that that's what's needed to be successful. But I think your day can look however it is you need it to be for the way that you use your energy. Um, and so that really works for me is to have that slower morning, that time for reflection. Ideally, I would love to have a little bit longer to do some like journaling or some writing in the morning. Um, but, you know, we'll get there. 
each each day offers a That's new right. way to sort of weave in <laughs> certain practices. Um, yeah, and then now we sort of clock off um, and we go for like a little stroll in the afternoon sometimes and we're trying to sort of all cook dinner together. Um, now that Vala's a bit older, she is more aware of what's going on and we really want to make that a bit of a ritual or a tradition for our family. Um, we don't eat dinner with her because she obviously eats at like five o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) but we'll sit down and eat while she's exploring food um and yeah I think that dinner ritual is something we really want to ingrain into our home and make it something you know if there's music on and you know we all sit down and and talk about our day and eat together and really looking at food I want to build really positive relationships with food for her that's like a really really big goal for me um and looking at food as a as a sense of enjoyment but also as of nourishment and something that that heals and provides um energy and and replenishing aspects for her body um rather than this thing that's supposed to be rushed or restricted yeah um so that's a big one for us. And, um, yeah, I really would like to do maybe some sort of gratitude practice once she gets a little bit older. I mean, Odin and I could obviously do it now, but babies just force you to hope that you can be oh, the best yeah. version of yourself. I'm going to do all the things. <laughs> totally. Oh, I'm going into this, like, knowing that, like, I have literally a limited amount of weeks left of my mornings and I've been working with my meditation teacher to understand like what will my practice look like in those first three months especially and yeah. um and he was really good he said you know like especially with Vedic because it's 20 minutes twice a day yeah those those 40 minutes might just be five minute chunks yeah maybe when you're feeding if she's feeding well yeah you know what I mean so you just make them up over yeah. the course of the day versus necessarily having those like yeah. dedicated um yeah, 20 minute kind of deep sessions. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going into it um, probably less um, knowing that the birth is just going to be the birth. That's not my focus. My focus is really the first, those first 40 days to three months. Which is so nice. I wish that I prepared myself a little bit more for that. I honest to be honest, I didn't even think about after the birth. I was so frightened. I've heard this a lot, but maybe it's because I've heard it a lot that that's kind of what's rubbed off on me is like, yeah, yeah. I think I, it was because I was having a home birth. I think that maybe was why I was like, I'm a hundred percent doing this by myself. Like, I need to know what's up. Oda needs to be there and know what's up as well. And I didn't even think about what would happen after. Um, But in retrospect, you just kind of, I don't know, I think especially, you know, considering the work that you do, um, you fall into this really beautiful, sweet, soft three months and you kind of know Mm. internally and intuitively that it is sacred and something not to be rushed. Um, And it took me a couple of, I think Vala was like, maybe five days old and there's a photo of me sitting at the at our kitchen table packing like writing cards packing Jane orders like breastfeeding her and I think that after that day I was like "Uh, uh-uh, uh, like we're not doing this anymore like she's only going to be little for so long and um that was a big one like cha- reframing the I can do it all and I'm going to be this like 
working woman with a baby and to be to saying actually I don't have to do that and that doesn't mean that you are more or less worthy but it doesn't feel right for you I really wanted mm-hmm. it to be really soft and 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 sweet and you know I would sit in bed and she would lay on me and I would try and meditate then um yeah and some those, ironically, even though meditation is still a bit of a fluid part of my day, those mornings where I remember that she was still asleep and I would be holding her or feeding her and I would be trying to meditate are some of the most comforting memories of that time because it's oh, so that makes special. Me feel good. Like yeah. even just thinking, like think about that you can tell your daughter that when you're older, when you were only a week old, you would sit on me and we would do skin to skin and I would meditate. So you would be meditating with me because you would be in my energy mm. sphere. Like, oh God, yeah. the event, there's this, yeah, the event horizon um, energetically. And that makes me feel really cozy and happy. Yeah. And just to know that like, yes, it's going to be a shit fight, but at the same time, there's going to be, you know, Tony calls some pockets of time, just little pockets mm-hmm. of time that, will feel like that and will yeah. feel really beautiful. And like, you know, the very naive part of me is still holding on to this fact. I'm like, well, I'm a meditator and I'm pregnant. So obviously she's just going to slip on out all high I'm going to do things so differently <laughs> to everybody and we're not going to do that and we're going to obviously do it this she's way. She's going to be so calm because she's been essentially meditating twice a day since she was conceived. Um, but no, she'll come out screaming um when what's your due date it's end of jan so um and this is the other thing i've been learning so about aquarius is, um, right so i am having this let's talk about relevancy yeah i'm having a female aquarian in the age of aquarius yes and it could not be more growing for me because i of course wanted myself i wanted a cancerian who would want to stay home and be attached to me but what am I getting? I'm getting the big thinking, travel obsessed, independent, don't tie me down girl. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, so that's relevant for me because that's expanding. So totally. I'm going to have to let her Lead. be. Yeah, exactly. And that is going to be huge for me, uh-huh. especially as I then put my anxiety and yep. anxious attachment stuff around that. Um, so that I know is going to be my big work to do as a mother is – how do I um, give you your sense of individuality and be here as a support to you, but not actually helicopter yeah. the fuck out of this thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vala was um, 26th of March, so she could have gone either way. I'm Pisces, Odin's Aries. And I was like, after I went like past the 21st, I was like, I don't know why I'm surprised. Of course she's going to be an Aries. Like I'm not going to get this. <laughs> I was like, but I could understand a Pisces child so well. And, you know, I would really be able to relate to everything that she was feeling and and going through. And Odin was like, there's no way you're going to get this little sensitive Pisces child. You're going to get this trailblazer, fire soul girl, woman, person who's just going to expand you. Um, But she's got huge emotions. So I think she's actually Pisces moon no she's Pisces rising Aries moon Aries sun so she's literally like split down the middle both of us of both of you yeah so it's interesting oh I can't wait to do the 
trio yeah. when she's born, the poor thing. Oh, I'm my like, God. So that... I've got your astrology no, done. honestly, I'm <laughs> laying on the bed like hemorrhaging and I'm like, what is the time? <laughs> what time was she born? And I wake up to the second is very important. Yeah, yeah, to the second. I wake up in hospital and text my friend and go, do her chart. 6 12 26 of March. And I was like, tell me what her rising and moon sign are. (laughs) These poor girls. Honestly. Um, So you listen to the podcast. So you know I have a final yeah. question that I ask each of my guests. Yeah. And so you've heard everybody else's um, response to this. And so Offline exists as an exploration of self and who are we outside of the labels, the Instagram followings, the perceptions of who we are. When you're sitting in your true self, who are you and what comes up for you when I ask that question? So I think firstly of um, a woman that I went to once as a healer. She described this concept of um, sitting in your back body and she sort of tried to get me to react. It was obviously for anxiety but to react to the world around me instead of in this like front-facing fight or flight to sort of take a breath and sit back into the back body and that description has stayed with me since she said that this is over five years ago and I think that really is my true self and when I'm sitting from that place of um, perspective and balance and um, having a, a deep breath and really sitting calmly with who I am and what I believe instead of um, reacting or being overwhelmed or overstimulated by what's going around on around me. But I think when I am in that place, I am, I am love and I'm fluid and I am really innately aware of the fact that I'm connected to everybody else and everything is connected and we are all beating the same heart, living on the same earth. Um, and if we all sort of maybe pause to acknowledge that a little bit more, things might not need, not seem so great and hard or ab- abrasive and everything might just feel a little softer and sweeter and um, we might just learn to love each other a little bit more. Mm. I love that. There's only one thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the individuality, isn't it, that we start to suffer. And yeah, that's such a beautiful response. Thank you. And um, an hour and a half, like, I think this is probably one of my longest ever. I literally could talk to you. I didn't, there's like another 15 questions I didn't even ask you. Um, so thank you for of course. being thank on my podcast. Thank you for having me. What an absolute pleasure and thank you for the realness and also giving me a bit of permission to um, move Yay. back into that more vulnerable place. I'm so glad. I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate it, but thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was amazing. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes 
the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them.